As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. There's been one demand, and that's holding up that Lombardi trophy, period. That's all I care about, is holding that trophy up and holding that trophy up here. The prime thing is you have to win. You have to win. Otherwise, you can't be a success in professional football. You're listening to The State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Tashawn Reed, and Ted Nguyen on the Athletic Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to State of the Nation here on the Athletic Podcast Network. The presenting sponsor for today's episode of State of the Nation is Visa, a network working for everyone. I'm Jimmy Durkin, joined, as always, by Vic Tafer, Deshaun Reed, Ted Wynn. As the Raiders are at the bye week, they are 5-2. and two. They currently sit in the number two playoff position in the AFC. A long way to go, 10 games left. Um, but they've entered the bye in good position. Uh, they've weathered the storm of, of all the, the wildness that, that led to John Gruden's resignation two weeks ago. Um, and they look like a good football team. Uh, they've got a defense that is competitive. They've got an offense that's back to being one of those top 10 type units. And uh, it, it's going to be an exciting final 10 games of the season for the Raiders when they come back after the bye and head to New York next week. Yeah, for me, there's a real sense that this team actually may be legit. Like in past years, they had you know, good records at, at this point. You're always like, you weren't totally sold on defense, obviously. I mean, you didn't quite sure if the offense is even going to hold up with Derek and the O-line. But I think this year, um, the O-line's gotten better. Uh, Derek's been great. I think you have a, a really, like, Ngakwe, at the beginning of the year, said they wanted to be the top two pass rushers in the league. People kind of laughed. But uh, stat-wise, they are the top two pass rushers in the league. So when you have an elite pass rush, you can go a long way in this league. And I think the Raiders are in good shape. We've kind of been in a favorite position, you know, going down the, the stretch the last two seasons. Um, but I think, you know, they were kind of overcoming – what appear to be fatal flaws in both of those good starts. And this time around, it seems like they're a more complete team. Uh, I don't know if they've had some offensive inconsistencies because of the offensive line, but um, they've, they've shown they could still be one of the better units in the league when they're clicking. And, um, you know, the, the defense has been pretty solid by most metrics. Um, you know, they haven't had, you know, the penalties have been issued, but they haven't, they, they're winning a turnover battle. Special teams has been pretty good. Um, and, and so pretty much across the seem to be deep, you know, with how they responded to all these injuries. And so um, obviously they, they want to get healthy, especially on this bye week. But 
Um, even if the, you know injuries are kind of unavoidable, and they've shown they can they can sustain those and not be com- completely thrown off whack. And so they still got to close it out, but I think they're in a more favorable position than they've been in, in recent years. The two most encouraging things are Derek Carr is playing on another level uh, than he has in a pass. I think he's trying to crack that top ten quarterback tier, and like you guys mentioned, defense. I mean, in the previous years when the Raiders had good runs in the beginning of the season, their defense was always a problem. And, you know, we thought that the offense could overcome it. And in the second half of the season, they couldn't. But this year, the, the defense is legit and they could keep the Raiders in game games. And we, we've seen that during the season. So the biggest hole on this team is the offensive line. And even in that regard, they are slowly getting better. And they just had their best game against a pretty good Eagles front. This is you know, the third straight year that the Raiders have had a three-game winning streak in kind of the earlier portion of the season. They won the first three games here. Last year, they had that three-game winning streak that got them to 6-3. and three. The year before, they had a three-game winning streak that got them to 6-4, and four, and then they fell off after that both seasons. But here, you know, they have the three-game winning streak, two-game losing streak, now two-game winning streak going into the bye. What's it going to take for this team to, to kind of keep that going? I mean, we've also seen that they've had, every year they've kind of had that East Coast road trip that things have fallen apart. Last year it was Atlanta. Two years ago it was New York. And we all know that after the bye, they're heading to New York. Now, the Giants are a bad team, but so were the Jets, so were the Falcons. What do you guys think are the keys just to make sure that they come out? Because I mean, I think that's going to tell us a lot about this team. Can they get to 6-2? and two? Can they beat a team that they're supposed to beat? Yeah, I think they haven't won coming out of the bye since 2016, and you know, particularly the last couple of times when it when it comes against, uh, you know, or when it does come against, you know, what, what you would deem inferior opponents, uh, it, it, it tends to you know seem like more of a focus issue. I figure with this team, like you know, they had a pretty huge distraction to to start this year, and if they bounce back pretty well, come off with two wins, and so. I feel like focus wouldn't be an issue with this group, but um, it's kind of another one of those things with this team where we kind of, you know, believe it when you see it type thing. But, you know, the Giants, they've been been pretty bad. So, <laughs> you know, if they go up and, and, and lay a stinker in New York coming off the bye, you know, after some of the teams they beat this season, I'd be, you know, pretty surprised personally. Last week's win over the Eagles was, to me, a good indicator they're in good shape coming up for this next game because I think that was a game where, Coming off an emotional win, you got to buy ahead of you. If you're going to take a, a nap, maybe, or kind of like, you know, exit a little bit, that would have been the week for me. And the Eagles, I would say, had some challenges, a tough defensive line, which the Raiders kind of shut down. So for me, that was a really good sign. This team was definitely on the right track and, and focused. They talked about the leadership in the locker room, how it's really picked up a notch. And I think they're, I mean, I sound like a homer, but I think they're in pretty good shape to beat the Giants uh, on the road. Yeah, I mean, it, it was. We were kept wondering what was up with the point spread, right, in, in that Eagles game. And that was yeah, because on paper, they were a, a better team than the Eagles. You know, we were concerned about that defensive line, offensive line matchup. But on paper, they were a better team. I mean, they deserve to be the kind of team that can beat them by 10 points. But the fact that it was only three points, which is just a standard three points you get for being a home team, did seem weird. And I kind of bought it, right, just because we've seen in the past that the Raiders that's the type we all picked them to win, but in the back of my head, I'm like, yeah, might this be their annual game every year? I mean, we saw, you know, the Bears. They're they're a better team than the Bears, and obviously there were other things going on that week. But uh, there is kind of that annual game where you just like, yeah, what the heck did they do? Um, and so yeah, it was a good sign that they didn't play that type of game in that one. Yeah, I think they've had a reputation for playing down to their opponent's level, even when they've, they've been playing well. So it, it's definitely encouraging the last two games against the Broncos and Eagles that 
they were able to thoroughly dominate their opponents like they were supposed to. Those are definitely two signs that I think they're more focused this year. I was going to add, I think the leadership is better. We talked about Derek Carr playing better. I also think he's been a better leader this year, and I think the defensive line, especially Crosby and Gakway, have really kind of uh, galvanized this team as far as, like, they talked about a lot. The coaches always mentioned it, how these guys are always at, at a practice, like competing every every play before practice, staying late. It's kind of been infectious as far as, like, holding other guys responsible. And I think that, um, to me, as of right now, leadership has definitely been better this year than, than in a while. I think Denzel Perriman's a pretty underrated leader that they're able to add to. You know, he just really solidified that defense and the second level of the defense. So when you look at the upcoming slate, obviously after the bye, they've got the Giants. I mean, that that's a game you, you got to figure. They got they got to win that one to get to six and two, because then the slate after gets really tough. They host the Kansas City Chiefs. They host the Bengals, which is a game that, uh, as Ted you mentioned, it was the the cheapest ticket available uh, at the beginning of the season. Now it's looking like it could be a pretty big game. I mean, the Bengals are a team that's currently the number one seed in the AFC, and you know figures to stick around in the playoff race for at least a while. Uh, they've got the short week to go to Dallas for the. Thanksgiving game against the Cowboys. And that's going to be a really tough three-game stretch. Uh, then uh, Jack Del Rio comes to town with the Washington football team, and, and then they go to Kansas City and Cleveland in back-to-back weeks. So really, I mean, that's a six-week stretch where you're playing five teams that are probably going to be playoff contenders. That Bengals game is going to be with the top two teams in the AFC. Who would have thought that would uh, be a possibility? But yeah, it's been a crazy year. But I agree with you, Like. They got to take care of, you know, like they always say, talk, talking about stacking wins. So the Giants will be three. They'll have a lot of confidence going into that Chiefs game, which obviously the Chiefs had a lot of trouble on defense this year. It's kind of like, they're kind of like the Raiders teams from years past. Great offense and the defense always lets them down. So they got to do too much and start forcing you know, turnovers. If they beat the Giants, then that next three-game stretch that you mentioned is going to be probably one of the most pivotal ones of the, the season because they're playing three really tough teams. I mean, you know, Kansas City has a losing record right now, but they're still the Chiefs and they might be able to correct their problems by then. Then you got the Bengals and then the Cowboys. So if you could get out of that three-game stretch at two and one, their confidence probably would be sky high and they'd be in pretty good position after that. Yeah, I'm interested to see how they, they do in the divisional games just as they haven't played many of them so far. They're only at, at what, two right now? And so... I know the Chargers haven't played this week, but they had a tiebreaker. They end up, you know, winning this week and having the same record as the Raiders. And so, you know, especially if the Chiefs are still looking vulnerable by the time they play, those, those divisional matchups are, are pretty huge. Obviously, you know, some of those big tests against the Bengals and, and Cowboys have kind of set the barometer for where this team is at. But when it comes to making the playoffs, they really got to make sure they get the, the job done in the division. Yeah, I mean, like we said, you know, after Sunday's game, I mean, the, the division is, is wide open. I mean, this is not a situation where they have to be thinking wild card. They can, you know, they've got a chance to to be a contender in the AFC West. They have a chance to win a division title thanks to the fact that the Chiefs have, have fallen at least a little bit. You know, they're at four losses. Um, they're not going to be uh, uh, running away with the AFC West title. But um, all right, I want to wanted us to do just kind of a little bit of a, a unofficial first half review, you know, seven games in we're at the bye week, not obviously not official first half, but um, got 10 games to go. Let's go with what is everybody's biggest surprise so far this season? I think it has to be the defense, right? I mean, I, I thought you got to pick, pick a specific, you got to leave some stuff for the rest of us, man. <laughs> yeah, we could all say the defense. We don't have to choose different things that we're surprised, but it's the pass rush. So I thought it'd be improved, but 
I was pretty sure about Crosby and Gakwe, but I still didn't think it'd be one of the best overall units in the league. I thought it'd be like around average um, if those two played pretty well. I think part of that is is Crosby playing at a higher level than we've ever seen. Like one of the, I think he's like top five in pressures and, and been one of the best edge rushers in the league. And then also the pressure that they gotten from the interior. Um, you know, I, I think I was probably a little bit scorned from all the Malik Collins hype last year. So I, was, I wasn't really sure how the interior pressure was going to look, but they've gotten good results from Quentin Jefferson, Solomon Thomas, you know, a little bit for Darius Fallon early on, random guys like Damian Square having a good game here and there. And so, you know, both on the inside and the outside, you know, I think their overall pass rush has been one of the better units in the league. They're up there in pressures and, and sack rate and all those, all those kind of statistics. So, uh, that's probably and that's been you know what's just you know leading this kind of defense turnaround is that makes it easier on the secondary and just kind of getting them going. A stat that uh, from Next Gen, the Raiders have uh, their defense has generated at least a thirty percent pressure rate in all seven games this season. That's the longest streak to start a season in the Next Gen stats era since twenty sixteen. Uh, they have a thirty eight point seven percent pressure rate, which is the third highest in the Next Gen stats era, and a fifteen percent blitz rate, which is the lowest in the league. So they've got the lowest blitz rate and one of the highest pressure rates. Uh, that, that's pretty good. My vote goes to uh, Denzel Perriman. I think. Um... Uh, I've watched a lot of bad linebacker play in my years covering this team. And last year, you know, the fans were excited about Littleton and Kwiatkowski, and, and so was I. I've been watching some good linebackers. They, are, they weren't that – they were um, – I don't want to say disappointing, but they were not what everyone thought they were going to be. I mean, and, and Morrow was fine at times. I think he definitely is um, a guy who steps up and makes some plays every now and then. But and Denzel Perryman, that guy is uh, – guy, guy was a journeyman most of his career. I didn't I mean, think of him much when I got him, but – he is all over the field. He's delivering huge hits. Uh, Ted mentioned his leadership ability. Just a guy who's been an afterthought to like a, a key cog on the defense, and really, really fun to watch. I mean, he's just a fun player to watch every every, every week. My biggest surprise is how good of a general manager Gus Bradley is, because like every one of his guys that have come to the, the Raiders have played well, and I don't know if Paul Gunther got a bunch of say in his defensive picks, but how dramatic um, the Bradley guys have been it has been pretty um, pretty amazing this season. I love the I love the tease. How good, John Manager <laughs> Gus Bradley is. <laughs> that, was, that was well done. That was really well done. We got to give some love to the offensive side. So I'll, I'll go with uh, just the way that Henry Ruggs and, and a little bit Brian Edwards, mostly Ruggs, has taken that next step that we were waiting to see if he could take. You know, through seven games, 24 catches, 469 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, yeah, I, I know coming into last week, I think he was leading the NFL in yards per catch. I don't know if he still is, but he's doing more. You know, they're targeting him more. He's, you know, he had two catches in the opener. He's had at least three catches every game since. He was a little bit quiet against the Eagles, but, you know, he's making bigger plays. Plays. He, he's running, you know, more variety of routes. They're getting him more involved, and you know, I, I think you know we've seen just the way those young guys have developed has changed. I mean, the, the Raiders went out in the offseason. They signed John Brown and Willie Sneed. John Brown, right before roster cuts, requested his release. I mean, he's sitting on the Broncos practice squad now. No, he got cut yesterday. Oh, he's gone then. Uh, and then Willie Sneed requested his release this week. We kind of saw those veteran signings. It's okay. These are guys that. You know, they're probably going to end up leaning on the veterans, but we're hoping that they really let the young guys develop and get all the reps. And it has worked out that way. The young guys are developing, they're getting the reps, and the veterans are saying, 
peace. You know, we're, we're not getting enough opportunity here. Uh, let's, let's find somewhere else to go. And Willie Sneed goes to the, the Panthers. And so that, that's just encouraging to see because that's what the Raiders offense needed to have happen. They needed to have, you know, the young guys that are under contract for a few years really develop. And uh, they needed to have Derek Carr develop that trust, that faith in them. And he has. And uh, I mean, I think that's, it's a great sign, not just for the rest of this year, but for the next couple of years. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a... real POS. You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. All right, let's flip it over. Biggest disappointment. Five and two. There's no disappointment, right? Everything's everything's all all good. Offensive line, good. I started with the guys up front. I would say, you know, when they traded away three starters from last season, I'm um, certainly not an offensive line expert, so I figured the Tom Cable and John Gruden and Mike Mack had seen something uh, with some of the, the young guys they had coming up to, to think that they'd be, you know, pretty much ready from the get go this season, and, and then also, you know, obviously drafting Ellis as what they had the expectations for him. I know they started to play better the last couple of games, but, you know, I think that that unit kind of been the, the Achilles Hill raw offense, you know, with Andre James struggling out the gate and, you know, John Simpson being so-so and then Alex Arthur would have to having to change positions. Obviously the injuries they couldn't really control with, with Richie Incognito and did so good going down, but uh, I will say Incognito kind of relying on him to stay healthy at 38 coming off a season where he didn't play. It was kind of a risky move. And so messing with the offensive line was something that they didn't really – need to do and, and so for them to do it uh damn sure better be right about you know the guys that you have stepping in and so um i think that group kind of being off to a shaky start and still really figuring things out um particularly in, in, in the run game um i think that's probably been the, the biggest disappointment so far just because it was kind of you know one of the, one of their splashy moves this offseason my biggest disappointment is josh jacobs i mean you know, he, he's the first round pick at running back, supposed to be a guy that is at the top of his position or, you know, in that top tier. And he's just been in and out of the lineup. And, you know, 
Deshaun wrote a, a piece about him and you know tweeted about how he, he is finally healthy and all of a sudden he gets knocked out of the game. So he's just been uh, unavailable. He doesn't have a chest injury. Did you not check his Instagram? He doesn't have a chest injury, no matter what Rich Bisaccia Oh, what, Whatever it is, he, he wasn't in the game, and my fantasy uh, football team suffered for it. But uh, uh, no, <laughs> That's the uh, real reason. <laughs> Vic's had this inquisitive look the entire time that Ted has been calling out Josh Jacobs and wondering what, where this is going. And there... <laughs> <laughs> it's not his skill. It's not his skill. It's just his availability. So, I mean, it's hard to feel good about just relying on him to be there consistently just with how much he's been hurt. So I, I would say that that's been a disappointment because, you know, I thought he was going to be a guy that would be a top five running back at the end of the year. So John Gruden, um, but um, MVP candidate, right? My most disappointing thing is tough because they're, they're so damn good. I'm going to go with, uh, the last two weeks at the at the home games, they had like this weird like black bean egg scramble for breakfast, and, the, and it's not very good. The weird thing is that it's the exact same thing two two games in a row. There's like a week, in, so I'm really wondering. Nobody like, finished it. Nobody yeah, liked it. Exa- so they brought exa- it back. <laughs> exactly. I'm really kind of worried about that. But uh, no. Nah, but you I mean, ate it again. I mean, if breakfast, you gotta have breakfast. It's the most important meal of the day. But uh, I had some kind of weird French toast like uh, cake thing. It was like a weird, it was like, I can't really describe, Deshaun can help me describe it. was like just a big glob of French toast, like a kind of pudding, bread pudding. Not good, not good is anyway. the short description. So yeah, so two weeks in a row, so that's, that's disappointing. But uh, besides that, I'll try and, and, and uh, stretch here. I'm going to say Amik Robertson. I think Amik Robertson was a guy who had a great training camp, was a great story, a really infectious personality, kind of pull for him, and you kind of like think, all right, here's a guy who's, you know, undersized, short cornerback. Actually, has gotten better the last year. He's going to make it. Make it. He's going to actually prove everyone wrong. And then he played, and he was uh, he was too short. And so they went with uh, with Faison, who's been really good in, in his place. So just a guy who you, you were kind of pulling for because of his personality and because of what he uh, worked hard last year. But I think his window's already closed already. So it's kind of uh, a little sad, but also I'll say disappointing because I was really pulling for him uh, at some point this year. I'll kind of extend off of Robertson and just say that the young secondary in general the young cornerbacks in general uh you know i think the safeties abram merrick have been pretty good but the fact that you know mullen's injured right now and we're not getting to see him kind of try to take the next step and obviously damon arnett injured you know which has been kind of a thing and you know we're not you know he was obviously out of the starting lineup but still you know it it would have been an opportunity he's a guy that you just he's a first round pick you want to see him play you want to you want to be able to kind of make that final determination like is this a guy that has anything in him left that we can kind of try to untap. And uh, the fact that they've been hurt, you know, we'll see, you know, I think, uh, you know, Rich Basasha kind of said in, in terms of Mullen, Arnett and Incognito that both of them are, you know, all of them are maybe a week after the buy. So not for this Giants game, but maybe a week after we'll kind of see, but we don't really know the timeline on them. And I mean, Casey Hayward has been great. Um, you know, he, he could be, he could have been included there as one of the biggest surprises. Um, you know, Faison has has been phenomenal as as a guy just picked up off the Chargers practice squad. But I mean, you know, Mullen and, and Arnett are guys you invested a lot in in a in a first round pick and a second round pick, and you just kind of want to be able to see what you're going to get out of those investments. And uh, we're we're not really able to see that right now. But hey, that's nitpicking. Uh, this team is is in really good shape, and you got to be happy with where they're at after seven games. So that leads us to our next question. Give me one prediction for the final ten games of the season. I'm not even going to limit it to the final 10 games of the season. I'll say for the rest of the season, one prediction for the remainder of the season, 10 games, 11 games, 14, however many you want to 
Ted is going to tell us that they play 10 games this season. Is that going to be your prediction? Yeah, that's the easy one. They're going to play 10 Ooh. games. Wow. At least 10 games. <laughs> no. I'll go. I'll go. You want me okay, to go? Go ahead, go ahead. I'll take first. Vic, you're going to like this one. The Raiders make the playoffs as a wild card team, and they head to Tennessee to take on the Tennessee Titans in wild card weekend in Nashville. Do love Nashville. That's a good I like that one. Uh, I'll go with, um, what am I going with? I'm going with, uh, I'm such a homer now. I'm going to go with uh, Cleveland Farrell will have over one and a half sacks the rest of the year. I think uh, he actually got close last week. Did you say snaps or sacks? I said sacks. I think. Um, <laughs> That's like a career high for him, dude. No, I, I'm, kidding. Yeah, it, 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 no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Wow, I, was, I just think he's uh, he's still playing hard. He actually came close to sack recently, I think. It's going to show Gus Bradley's range as a coach. Not only is he getting stuff out of guys who he wanted, he brought in from his old teams, but also guys he wasn't really high on are still kind of working hard. And we're rewarded for the effort. I think Cleveland will have a couple big plays the rest of the year just to kind of keep with this whole feel-good thing we have going here. My prediction is Foster Moreau becomes a much bigger part of this offense. They run a lot more 12 personnel. And, you know, I think in the second half of the season, he'll get about three to 400 yards and three touchdowns. So I'm going to go like a, what is it? It's called a big parlay. Yeah, I'm going to go with a parlay yeah, here. Parlay. Nice. The Raiders, uh, they'll finish top 10 in scoring offense, top 20 in scoring defense, and they'll be two or more games over 500. It's a three-team parlay. I like I'll it. Go with that. I think that because I think back before the uh, before the season when we did our prediction story, I think those were some of our questions were, uh, can they be a top 10 offense? Can they be a top 20 defense? And then, uh, you know, the playoff thing. So I'll go with them checking all those boxes that we had that we were kind of pontificating about at the start of the season. They, they pull it off. All right. I like it. All right. Before we get to questions, uh, you know, we should talk about, we, we were hard on Mark Davis for his declining to speak after the John Gruden resignation, not being there to answer questions. So we will talk about the fact that he did speak on Wednesday in New York at the owners meetings. Obviously none of us were there, but uh, yeah, we did have one of our reporters there and, and he took questions. I thought what he said Wednesday was kind of exactly what he could have said two weeks ago and you know where he had an opportunity to kind of express his frustration with the NFL about the timeline of the release of the emails and the idea of okay they had those a few months ago why did they not come and tell me about them that that's a valid question I mean if they had told Mark over the summer about this and Mark could have had an opportunity to you know talk to John about it kind of come up with a decision and handle it in the less compressed time frame of in the season, that would have been better. And it, it's a fair question for the NFL that, Vic, as you wrote, we're probably not going to get answered. But Mark was able to express his frustration at the NFL while also saying that reaffirming everything that the Raiders franchise believes in in terms of diversity and inclusion and saying that John's emails did not meet that standard and that John had to go. That's kind of what we were looking to hear from him a couple weeks ago and we didn't um so we did hear it from him on wednesday and you, know, you credit him for that also obviously brought up some some other interesting topics in terms of how uh, mark Bedane left but you know in, in terms of you know what, what he had to say i mean i think he was able to to kind of communicate where he was at um there's still legitimate questions about why he let gruden coach in that game against the bears and you know he he spoke about wanting to do due diligence you know, my thing is he he could have easily just said he's not going to coach this game while we sort it out. You know, he didn't have to fire him necessarily, but he could have said he's not going to coach this game and, and we'll figure this out uh, in the coming days. Yeah, that was my, my two things were like um, he was 
the only owner to come out and say they should make those Washington reports public, which I thought was pretty commendable. I'm sure the other owners all snickered and like, get out of here, man. But uh, another thing was you mentioned the time. I still have problems with his timeline as far as letting Gruden coach on that Sunday because he had all the emails uh, on he said on Friday. So pretty damaging emails that uh, just to say I got to do diligence uh, for three or four days. Seems like uh, weird. And he also mentioned the settlement, so maybe he, again, was all about working out the financial part of it and not wanting to fire John. But I just don't understand why you would wait and why, you, like you said, let, let him coach. You could have suspended him. could have, like, did a lot of different things. But let him coach and kind of waiting until Monday. And then the timing of it where he says, you know, New York Times article nothing to do with with John, you know, resigning, but it happened a half a half, half hour later. I mean, that's a pretty amazing coincidence that a thing that had no effect on it, it took place a half hour before all everything went down. So, but again, I thought, like you said, he, he said things he should have said a while back. And they're all good to hear. I think Raider fans love the whole "we are Raiders" thing, whether the NFL always comes after us. That the, the fans love that stuff, and and some of it's, it's definitely is fair. But um, I like the um, the Washington report thing. I thought it was kind of cool how he kind of came to the defense of. The women who want these things made public, in a way that other owners probably didn't want to hear him say that. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. You know, in terms of the other things he had to say, you know, he, he talked about uh, one of our questions here. Uh, we'll, we'll kind of get to the questions now because this uh, this addresses it. This one from Randall R. What kind of accounting irregularities get three top level execs canned? And, you know, cat's out of the bag at this point. I mean, I think we all knew that the Mark Bedane resignation wasn't him. I got the stadium built in Las Vegas and I'm going to move off into retirement and spend time with my family. Uh it never sounded or seemed like that. You you always knew that there was something, and it was just a matter of when they were going to kind of let that all out. And I know accounting irregularities had been kind of uh, reported going on, and and Mark you know confirmed that on Wednesday, saying that essentially they overpaid their taxes. That's what led to not just Mark Bedane leaving, but uh, the chief financial officer and the team controller. He didn't get too into, into the specifics about particularly which accounting issues there were and. Um... Not a financial expert for sure, but uh, I think we saw, you know, that, that cluster of departures right before the season. Obviously, it wasn't just everybody deciding to not work anymore. You know, something had happened and, you know, I'm not sure why now Mark Davis, you know, was kind of OK to talk about maybe some kind of legal legal reason behind that. You know, I think, you know, between that on the business side and obviously the Gruden situation, you know, I think that's kind of a maybe something that, that Mark was talking about with the timing issue with the Gruden thing is, you know, he was at least even though it was pretty close before the start of the season. At least he was able to kind of sort out 
that issue with his front office. Whereas, you know, with the Gruden situation, he had to deal with that in the middle of the year. Like if he would have got, you know, also that in off season, he could have had both of those things kind of nipped in the bud before the season started. And uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much that changes about where they're at right now as a football team, but, or, or as an organization, but uh, with Dan Ventrell, uh, I believe he's still in the interim role, right? I think he's, he still has the, the interim tag, but you would assume that that he's probably going to, you know, get the, the full-time president job after the season. So ultimately, if they keep winning games, I don't think there's something that the fans will end up caring about too much, but obviously it still has an impact on, on the business side. You just wonder like how much, I mean, is it a matter of is the overpaid taxes? Is, is that just a matter of they gave away a lot of money that they shouldn't have? Is I don't, I don't know if there's like legal ramifications that come with overpaying taxes. I don't I'm, I, I don't think any of us here are tax experts, but I don't know exactly kind of what, what happens there. But Well, the way I heard it was, like, they were four or nations because of the accounting irregularities. Then pause, like, you know, he acknowledges there were reports we underpaid taxes. We didn't do that. We overpaid taxes. I'm not sure there, like, there's a huge gap between why they were fired and, and also they overpaying fired, the taxes. Yeah. yeah, why and overpaying the taxes. I think there's obviously a huge... Another thing that happened there, we don't I mean, probably won't know about unless it comes out legally. But um, him just saying the overpaying taxes was a way of kind of like, yeah, I guess you don't want Uncle Sam to think you're out. I don't, whatever, that you're worried about people not paying their taxes enough. But uh, I'm not sure. I think there's something else that we obviously we don't know about besides this, besides that. All right. Move on to the next question from David A. Any truth to the rumor of us inquiring about Melvin Ingram? Are we not happy with Nassib and our rotational edge rushers? Uh, Melvin Ingram wants out of Pittsburgh, not happy. He, he signed there essentially to be a backup, and, and now he's not happy with his role there. And so he wants out of Pittsburgh. Um, you know, I mean, we, we all kind of thought that he would be a guy that the Raiders would target in the offseason. But at, at this point, I, I, don't, I don't know that you messed with that defensive line. I don't really see much, much of reason for them to have intrigue. There's no injuries really on the edge. They're, they're playing really well. You know, they, they do have maybe some other positions of that might be concerned, but I don't think that's one of them at the trade deadline. Is that a rumor that's out there? I haven't, I haven't seen that rumor that they actually want to bring him in because um, he was out of shape when they were interested in him in, in the offseason. But uh, we've talked about it. I mean, look at all the guys Bradley's brought in who played for him before. So obviously, you can bring one more guy in. You got you to do it because they're all they're all jackpots. Yeah, so, but uh, I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know, I mean, you never know. I mean, that would definitely hurt my. Like Clee over over under, that would definitely damage my chances on my big my big prediction. But uh, who knows? You know, I mean, like I said, Gus obviously likes him, so I mean, and now he's definitely in good shape. So those are two big things that uh, might. I, I don't know what they would give up for him, like in terms of a draft pick, though. So what if he's not happy with his role either? Right? He's not going to come here and be a starter. Nah, but he'd be like he would. I mean, I guess he would probably take Carl snaps, or he'd play the fourth pass rusher, or maybe the third. But. Um, yeah, I get. It. I, I do. I mean, the only reason I'm not gonna dismiss it because they, they've had so much success with former Bradley guys. I know he likes them, but and he's also in good shape now. But I, I can't imagine what it would cost and why they want to do that with the success they're having so far with the D line. I don't think he's getting paid much, so I would think the only way they would do it is just because of depth or you know if an injury happens or something. But yeah, I mean, I think he he might get less playing time here than in Pittsburgh where he kind of already established himself and started well there. So yeah, uh, I don't see it happening until the injury happens. All right. Question here from Tim O. It's ironic that Gruden wanted Kenyon Drake so badly, yet he underperformed while Gruden was doing the play calling. Is this just coincidence or are the Raiders under Olsen using him differently? I think 
the offensive line has just been better. So they're opening bigger holes for him. I mean, you know, there were a few runs where he was untouched until he has five yards past the line of scrimmage. And I, I think they are making a bigger effort to get him the ball um, on more downfield routes than just check downs. And, and that's helped his production out. His overall playing time isn't that different than it was at, at the start of the season um, before he kind of got in the, on the bad side of the coaching staff because he was struggling on, on as a third down back. You know, as Ted said, I think he's just, you know, being a little bit more effective with his touches uh, as, a, as a result of the improved offensive line play. I know, you know, Ted had, had pointed out on Twitter a few times he did have some issues running between the tackles, not making the right reads, but doesn't seem like that is as much of an issue anymore. He, he, he said he felt more comfortable at, at the last press conference after the game against the Eagles. And so he was just really just kind of selling into his role. I don't, I don't think his – obviously the second half last week with Jacobs going down and then Peyton Barber being inactive, he, he had his, his most touch, uh, touches of the season. Part of that was due to injury and just what happened. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think the volume has really changed all that much. I also mentioned Barber. Barber got hurt. Barber kind of passed him by a little bit, and I think uh, if Peyton Barber was still healthy, I'm not sure what would happen as far as Kenyon's usage. But he's taking advantage of the last two weeks. Obviously gives him some big play ability uh, catching the ball, but uh, I think Peyton Barber's injury is a, is a big factor in uh, his increased usage. Question from Jeffrey H. Are we ready to say that Gruden was actually a genius personnel guy, but bad at using his weapons correctly? And he notes, please note that this is a joke. So. No, he's. But, <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah, uh, I, that that plays into the Kenyon Drake thing. Obviously, he he's doing well now, and I mean, I we we've said this before that I think, you know, the fact that they suddenly have personnel that they brought in this year that is doing much better than has done in the past is is more a reflection of Gus Bradley because it, it's mostly it's the defensive acquisitions that are really excelling for them, and and obviously you've got to credit Gus Bradley for uh, for pushing for those guys. So. Um, all right, uh, going to move on back to this question from Tim O. What has been the ratio of Raider fans to visiting team fans during home games? Uh, it's obviously not quite the same as as Oakland, where it was uh, dominated by the home team. What do you think, Deshaun? I think it's uh, I think it's seventy thirty or or, or well, well, seventy thirty Raiders. No, nah, I would say maybe like probably optimistically like sixty forty. Like I don't know, opposing fan bases have been like pretty deep. Like I think the Bears game was probably the worst, where it was like pretty much fifty fifty. But it's just a matter of, like, I think, you know, this kind of city that Vegas is with it being a, a tourist city and so many people that live here that aren't, you know, from here in the West Coast and some people that are coming here throughout the year and, you know, they want to see their team. Uh, like, I took my nephew on a stadium tour and, like, half the people on the tour were Eagles fans for the game. And so I think it's kind of just the nature of Vegas. I don't think it's necessarily, like, an indictment against, you know, Raiders fans or nothing like that. But it hasn't been, like, a really full – home field advantage. I feel like it's going to be that way for the rest of the season. Maybe it starts changing in the years to come as, as you know, people start to already have seen their team play at the Legion and things like that. But I think it's been like, probably like 60-40 this season. Yeah, I mean, to me, the biggest difference is that, I think we've talked about this, is that Raider fans are still very loud, but when the other team scores, the volume is definitely a lot uh, more than you heard in Oakland. I think definitely there's a louder roar for big plays from the other team, which is kind of weird, but uh, it's not a huge deal. I think, uh, like last week, the Eagle fans were pretty much pretty much shut up. So if you play well and you win the game decisively, the other fans aren't going to have much to cheer for. So I think we didn't hear much from Eagles fans last week. So if you play well, then it won't be, it won't be a factor. Yeah, I think it comes down to, I mean, if you're, if you were living in Vegas, you hear the Raiders are coming, they're building this brand new stadium and you know how hot an NFL ticket is. 
it's not a bad investment to say, hey, let me grab season tickets. And, and especially these first couple of years, the first season with fans where you know that the ticket prices, the resale is going to be really high. I think as the years go on and the resale value isn't as high, you know, the people that bought them just to make a quick buck as an investment might, uh, might die off a little bit and you'll probably see more Raider fans. And, and, you know, as the generation of, you know, Vegas natives uh, and Vegas residents grow up with this as their team. You know, they'll eventually build more of a, a of a local fan base. So it's going to take time. Uh, it'll 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 take time. But at the end of the day, I mean, the Raiders have their their home stadium, and you know, it's 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 better than playing in a dump. All right, uh, last question here. I have two more questions. We'll go with Justin B. What are the odds that Gus Bradley and Greg Olson stay on as coordinators next season? Comes down, I mean, if Rich Pisaccio is hired, uh, gets a full time job, then uh, and I think you can rubber stamp both goes, guys coming back. Um, if it's an outside hire, probably not. Yeah, sounds pretty simple. I mean, that's uh, <laughs> uh, probably what it's going to be. And, um, and with the Pisaccio thing, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of interesting. I mean, because he's yeah, he's a pretty older guy at this point uh, as a coach. Um, you know, so kind of, I don't know how Mark Davis values it, but like if they do make the playoffs, even if they don't go on a run. Is that enough to, to go to Passaccia as a full-time guy and keep Mayock, Mayock on his GM? Or or do you still kind of hit that reset button coming off everything they did this season? Like I'm, not, I'm not sure what the barometer is exactly. I think, you know, the goal coming into this year, you know, was, was playoffs. You know, I don't think they necessarily had an a end goal in mind past that. But, you know, I think that's changed. It naturally has, has had to change with, with what happened with Gruden resigning. So I don't know if the goalpost has been moving at all in terms of, what, what bar does the, the staff has to have to reach to come back next year or or is it going to be a hard reset almost no matter what? If they do decide to make a, cha- a, a coaching change and an offensive coach comes in, I, I would think that that coach would have to consider maybe bringing Bradley back with, with the job he's doing just based on how bad the Raiders been and that dramatic turnaround, especially if it's a young guy, you know, like Kellen Moore or um, what's his name from Carolina, Joe Brady. If it's a young guy that doesn't have like a ton of connections and, you know, friends that are defensive coaches, you know, I, I would think that there's a chance that they keep Bradley. But yeah, I mean, if if Basaccia stays on, then both guys will return. I was going to say it's probably still tied to, uh, to Derek Carr. I think Derek Carr obviously has been great so far. And there's no reason why you wouldn't think they'd give him a new contract at this point. And I think he's... Very close to Ole. I think um, Basachi said some really great things about him the last two weeks. So I think if they make the playoffs, you kind of bring all three of those guys back, I would think. I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't. So to me, they're all kind of tied together at this point. You know, what do you think of Mark's uh, kind of assessment of Mike Mayak? It seemed like kind of a, a lukewarm, you know, yeah, he's he's the GM. And, you know, we'll, he, he's kind of the GM for, for now. And we'll kind of assess that in the offseason. What wasn't like a ringing endorsement uh, of Mayock? Uh, not that you would expect there to be one, but um, it, it seemed like, yeah, he's our GM. And, and we'll see what things look like in the offseason. Yeah, I mean, it felt like an honest answer. I, I didn't expect him to commit to, yeah, Mayock's our GM for the foreseeable future before, you know, we see how the end of the season plays out. So I think, I think it makes sense because I think that's, you know, in reality, that's what it is. You know, it's more of a wait and see what happens the rest of this year, you know, if things go, you know, favorably, you know, has a good chance. If not, he's probably, cause he's probably on the, you know, you know, it was a warm bum. He's getting a little hot seat anyway, as a result of, you know, some of their draft missteps and free agency sign-ins and not making a playoffs his first couple of years as GM. And so uh, if he doesn't make the playoffs, I don't think it, the outcome would be any different than it, than it would have been otherwise. 
Yeah, I agree. I think I think Mark's. Uh, we mentioned the, the collapses last two years. I'm sure Mark is a little leery of that again this year. I think he doesn't want to get too high on, you know, five and two. And I think, uh, but uh, like you said, if, if things keep going the way they are, there's no reason why Mike won't be back next year. If they keep winning games, make the playoffs, you'd think that'd be enough to keep him here. So, but no reason to say anything more than he did as far as you know Mike's status for next year right now because it's still up in the air. Final question here from John C. Can you talk about the team depth and the next man up success so far this year when dealing with both injuries and the who had the best week, uh, who had the best practice week mentality? Referring to the dif- defensive line, specifically Thomas, Jefferson, Nassib, even Furl, and corners, running back, and even offensive line. Um, we saw that uh, the Pasaccia kind of you know mentioned it that uh, the reason. Damian Square kind of got an opportunity was they, they have some of these competitive practices on Wednesday where they let guys kind of go out a little bit and, and earn a role for Sunday, which I think, I don't know how many teams do that, um, you know, or how, or how many teams talk about doing that. But for those backup roles, especially those rotational roles on the defensive line, I mean, it's hard. Like if you're a rotational player, right, you don't get a ton of opportunities in every game to you know, show that you deserve more. So I think the idea that they're doing those those kind of competitive sessions at practice to, to kind of earn a role is is a pretty nice thing. Yeah, I think coming into the season, if my memory's right, the, after the 53-man 53 ros- 53 roster was set, defensive line and, and the secondary were, were kind of the two deepest position groups that they had on the roster. I think the question was, you know, are, are these just bodies or, you know, would it actually be uh, quality up and down the roster, you know, if somebody inevitably, inevitably does get hurt? And so... It's something that we really wouldn't know until we seen it. And, and obviously that, that, that's come to fruition here for them. Um, I think that's, you know, defensive line, is, I would say it's probably the, the deepest, you had to say it's the deepest unit on the team, uh, just between, you know, the, the lack of a drop-off that you have, even, you know, behind Nkakwe and Crosby, Carl Nassif, you know, had a good start to the season. And, and Cleef Farrell's been fine when he's, when he's played. And obviously we've talked about, you know, kind of the revolving door that they have on, on the interior there. And that's, you know, they've had other areas where they've had injuries. Obviously, tight end has been beat up, and then they've responded well in other positions. But I think that's probably the group. It's also a group where they, they really haven't had many injuries on the defensive line, so I guess their, their depth hasn't been tested. But just a matter of how they've been rotating throughout games, I think that's that's probably the position that's flashed the most in my mind. Yeah, I was going to say, I was dead wrong about the depth. I thought that was their biggest issue going into the year. But uh, it's been really surprising. And talk about the secondary and the D-line and even on offense. But Brandon Parker? Played well the last couple of weeks, so I just think that the depth is a lot better than I thought it was, and that's a big reason why they're five and two. Yeah, I also think continuity uh, plays into that, you know, especially with Derek Carr being so ingrained into the system, and you have key pieces on the team that are uh, playing well at, at important positions, and they could kind of mask deficiencies in other areas too. And you know, with the continuity part of it. Yeah, that's another argument for keeping the staff on, especially if the team plays well down the stretch. All righty, guys. Well, I think this will wrap up our bi-week edition of State of the Nation. Uh, you'll get to kick up our feet on Sunday, crack open a beer, fire up the grill, and we go do a little trick-or-treating. Big day planned. Big day planned. Well, not really. I, I have three other teams to worry about. Go to Home Depot. Bed Bath & Beyond. I don't know. I don't know if we'll have enough time. Exactly. Favorite Halloween candy before we get out of here? We've done this before. Twix. I like Twix. Twix? Did not expect that. It's a good answer. I like Twix. I'll go Reese's. I like Three Musketeers because I would never buy it, but then if I get it at <laughs> Halloween, I think it's pretty good. <laughs> you just bite into it and you're like, wait, where's the rest? It's like it doesn't have the, the nuts in there, like a Snickers. It's just like it's like a dip. It's like a 
like a discount Snickers to me. I respect the answer, Ted. It's a good answer. I'm not going to shame you, Ted. I, I, I like your logic, man. <laughs> Some of you usually get, you want to try it, and it's a good answer. I like that one. What's your answer? What do you got, what do you got Vic? <laughs> I, said, I, said, I said Twix. I mean, uh, I'm, not, I'm not a big chocolate uh, guy, so uh, uh, Twix is probably my go-to. Uh, P&M&Ms are pretty good, but uh, I'll go with Twix. I should have said Skittles. I remember uh, last time I tweeted about Skittles uh, during the Raiders draft. Uh, uh, about a week later, I had a huge case of Skittles uh, land on my doorstep. But uh, that's when they were loving the Raiders with Marshawn Lynch around. So, all right, guys, that'll wrap up this episode. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, we'll obviously take Sunday off because there's no game to review. But uh, we'll be back next week to get you set for the Raiders taking on the New York Giants. All right, y'all. Later. Adios.